Hey, thanks, Ray. Welcome to Talk About the Passion, episode 65, Fire on High. First of all, this is the first episode since July of 2020. It was a challenging year for many of us, but here we are, 2021. I'm happy to be here. I hope you're happy to be here. Before I get into this episode's guest, I thought I would mention I am changing a few things about this podcast. The first one is I am going to try to focus most of the episodes here on punk and hardcore, metal and underground music of that ilk. Maybe some hip-hop since there is, you know, much history between those two genres. You know, as much as I love, you know, Steely Dan or whatever, I, I don't think anyone wants to hear me talk about them for three hours if, you know, they just listen to an entire episode where I talk about the first three biohazard records or something. Actually, that's a good idea. Uh, or maybe they do. Uh, as I've done in past episodes with my friends uh, Brian and Guy, I will also be doing more episodes focused on one artist. I have a few uh, good ones on two uh, classic hardcore bands in the works so far. And, uh, you know, if you're an expert or, you know, an ultra fan of a band and you want to nerd out about them on here, uh, send me a message. I'm hoping to do one on uh, the Dead Kennedys and uh, JFA, uh, Youth of Today. So if uh, you're a huge fan of those bands, uh, hit me up. Okay then, today's guest is uh, Damien Moyal. I've known him as a friend online for a few years now and uh, you know, realized he would make a great guest here. He's sang in a number of great bands like uh, As Friends Rust, Culture, Morning Again, and of, of course started Shia Lude in 1995. Uh, and left that band shortly after uh, they were assigned to Revelation. I named this episode after the Electric Light Orchestra song. Uh, I named all these episodes after songs. This one seemed to work mainly because we talked about Yellow, uh, but that's about it. I try not to think too much into that. Uh, the titles of these. His project, uh, Damien Dunn, is my favorite of his work. Uh, the vocals and lyrics on there are just really cool and moody and dark and just another one of those instances where, you know, someone from hardcore music goes on and does something completely different and actually pulls it off and it's good and, you know, there's a lot of earworms there. Uh, on this episode, we talk about his backstory, getting into music as well as his various projects throughout the years. Of course, with any of these newer episodes, we talk about life as a creative person during the pandemic and that kind of thing. Uh, and then we get into uh, when you can separate the artist from the, the person. And, and, you know, there's been a lot of those kind of stories lately. Uh, this was a great conversation. And, you know, he's, of course, welcome back here anytime. Uh, you can listen to this his music and buy it on his Bandcamp page under the name Damien Dunn. And that's D-A-M-I-E-N-D-O-N-E. -E. If you like this uh, podcast, please like and subscribe and all that. Follow me on social media, Instagram and Facebook. I try to update those uh, when things are happening. And yeah, thanks for listening. Here we go with episode 65, Fire on High. your last name correct yeah moyal moyal okay as many many pronunciations uh th thanks for doing this and uh so you're in uh michigan is that correct yeah okay. ann arbor okay cool and uh where did you grow up i grew up in miami florida yeah um 
well, at least uh, I guess I got to Miami when I was seven. Before that, I was in Columbus, Ohio for a few years mm-hmm. um, while my dad was in school there. Mm-hmm. And then uh, before that, the first couple of years, I was in um, the Netherlands. Oh, I was right. born there before coming over here. Yeah. And as a, as a kid in uh, my, Miami, did you, is that where you discovered music? Yes. Yeah. How how, how did you do that? Uh, I guess um, there was always music on in the house, Mm -hmm. which I I guess I figured was just part of, I don't know, parenting or something. You know, uh, my parents listened to a lot of, uh, um, my dad was mostly into like, jazz and blues and he, he's French. So a lot of like, um, French kind of, uh, singers, oh. uh, Gainsbourg, Edith Piaf, stuff like that. Oh, okay. Um, he didn't really get into rock too much. Um, my mom was kind of the, the rocker, I guess, if you would consider ELO in Chicago, uh, <laughs> you know, yeah. um, the stones stuff like that. Yeah. Um, but uh so yeah so that was always on there, there was always music but um i think i first started paying attention uh really just to the radio yeah. to uh you know i guess like rock stations um and then i think uh early on i kind of i got the bug with with um i i liked i liked i don't know rock and roll just appealed to me from from the onset just because uh it was, you know, somewhat taboo or dangerous. Right, right. Did, uh, so I gravitated toward it, I guess. Did, did bands like, because uh, like ELO and Chicago, those are kind of, uh, they're rock bands, but, you know, a lot of it's like more orchestrated and that kind of thing. So did that uh, like influence you at all? Or did you sort of go back and see who they got influenced by? And, you know, like ELO is kind of like a Beatles, a weird ELO's thing. ELO's very Beatles. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. I, I think Jeff Lynn's pretty open about, about that too. Um, shamelessly. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I don't know that it influenced me in anything that I've done since mainly just cause I, I wouldn't even know how to think like that or write like that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, uh, but those are yellow definitely stuck with me. Um, Chicago didn't, right. uh, <laughs> yeah. Aside from memories of the album covers, like in my mom's, you know, stack of records, I don't really remember or know much about Chicago, to be honest. Yeah, yeah, my parents had those records, too, and I remember the same thing, just they were all named after numbers, like Chicago, and then there was the chocolate one, and and I knew some of the hits, like, you know, Saturday in the Park, and, you know, uh, 25 or 6 to 4, and that kind of stuff, but then, uh, you know, they they got pretty uh, terrible in the 80s but i i've never right. gone back to that stuff and but elo however i was kind of into their hits as a kid and then i when i went back and realized sort of what was going on with that stuff you know you, you're kind of blown away how, how he put he put a lot of that stuff together it's pretty cool yeah i think what also did it with for elo well besides the fact that you know it, i don't really recall my mom playing the chicago records very much i just remember like you know them being in there right um elo got played a lot new world record was was a was a big album um 
in the house. And then uh, with traveling Wilburys, there was there was that sort of like resurfacing of Jeff Lynn, yeah. you know, in yep. my young brain where I was like, all right, this this guy's uh, this guy's making moves, you know, like <laughs> yeah. he's he's not he's not a Dylan or an Orbison, right. but he's uh, he's obviously pretty, pretty revered, you know, in those circles. So props to to Jeff Lynn. Yeah. Uh, um yeah do you, do you remember the the first sort of record that you fell in love with like that you got yourself and, and fell in love with the first record i got my so there were there were records that i would take from my parents collection and sort of borrow and listen to in my room right. uh while um i always had like those little you know combo uh stereos with a record player right or uh, so, so for a while I was borrowing theirs. I remember I was in some, um, in, in second grade, I was in some program where they had a, some music class where the teacher would like give us 45s. Oh, nice. And so my first, the first records that were like truly mine were, it came from, from school. And I remember, uh, uh, there was, a. Uh, uh, there was a B fifty twos forty five. I can't remember what it was from. Mm-hmm. Um, there was one that was um, the group was called Karma. They had oh, a song okay. called "Nothing to Do with the Dog." Okay, it was pretty like I don't know, like uh, I don't remember it too well, but it felt like kind of sort of avant garde, weird, quirky, new wave kind of stuff. Right, and then a Philip Bailey. Um, record uh, i think those were ones that i acquired so they they were mine they didn't come from my parents collection but i can't say i loved any of them right, right. the first one that i chose like of my own free will uh for a birthday um it was like uh, all right let's go to the let's go to the record store and you can pick i think i got a new record player that year so this was like the accompany the accompanying gift you know yeah let's yeah. go pick something right, out. Right. uh was van halen 1984 um right when it came out because yeah. I, I had just seen jump on this like giant screen at a, at a roller skating <laughs> rink uh and that made quite an impression you know yeah, david yeah. lee roth oh yeah doing splits in the air while roller skating <laughs> um yes yeah, so that was kind of the 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 rock radio kind of starting to get into like the the uh the stuff that was a little more current Right. maybe slightly uh dirtier more dangerous and then i remember like at one point probably around the same time or you know a year or so later i remember calling the radio station yeah uh as a kid just sort of like grabbing the phone and called and i got through and uh you know and i was like can you play some ozzy <laughs> yeah i think because i had heard like uh ozzy osborne was a satanist or something right so i was like well that's awesome (laughs) like let's let's hear some ozzy right um and i think they played like flying high again or something and i felt i felt uh seen you know yeah your your tribe yeah it's funny i i I uh I saw him on a Diary of a Madman when I was I guess twelve. That was one of the first shows my parents let my brother and I go to without them. After right after Randy Rhodes died, and uh, oh, wow. 
they didn't have the, they ended up getting the guy from Night Ranger, but there was another guy in between uh, named Bernie Torme that filled in. But but anyway, uh, I remember leaving that concert. And I was just about to turn thirteen, and this is nineteen eighty two, I guess. And uh, people are streaming out of the the place, and there's a guy with no shirt on, and this is at the Boston Garden. And this guy just smacked. There was a light bulb hanging bare, and this guy smashed it. And everyone in the hall was like, "Woo!" And I just remember thinking, "I, I found my, <laughs> I found my tribe here." And uh, yeah, yeah. And then it became a burnout <laughs> after that. Yeah. But uh, so so how how did you end up finding uh, punk rock for, from that? Um. Well, I think from from there, from like from i guess around like the end of um elementary school which which was uh i think it's different everywhere like sixth grade was still in our elementary school i think it's it's in like middle schools but around then i had a friend scott who um not really sure he was an only child so i'm not really sure where he got this influence but he was he was a little uh he was a little more like hip to music stuff than anyone else I do. Right. And I remember him uh showing me like uh some thrash stuff. So like through him I started kind of I was like, all right, the stuff on the radio, this like, you know, Van Halen, all that stuff is like it's great. Um I'm ready I'm ready for something else. And that I kind of got pulled into uh yeah, Anthrax, Metallica, Slayer, yeah. um, Sodom, yeah. uh, and a bunch of like really bottom shelf kind of dollar bin um, bands that I would kind of uh, just drop a buck on, you know, with my fingers crossed. Um, Wrathchild America, stuff oh, like oh, yeah, that. And then I think around the same time, I was kind of peripherally um, aware of punk rock yeah uh i think my understanding of it then was pretty limited to like um aside from from like you know some very vague awareness of like dead kennedys it was basically uh it was a british thing in my mind yeah so it was inaccessible you know Mm -hmm. yeah yeah of course Um, i think maybe the, the the first punk band that i ever heard uh was was the sex pistols but even that just it felt entirely uh unrelatable to me i I mean i guess i liked you know how i liked the irreverence um but it felt even then even in you know by i guess by then this was like seventh grade um the shock value felt like a little bit absurd yeah to me um and then, so, so yeah, I kind of, I stuck with, with like metal. Right. Um, and then I remember, uh, in seventh grade, um, <clears throat> you know, this is back when like you, you would just pour over, uh, um, metal magazines and oh, kind yeah. of just, you know, you're, you're like a sponge at that age. You're just yeah. absorbing everything. Right. Yeah. You have this, and we're probably still like this because maybe it's just how we're wired, but yeah. like you always have this awareness of like bands that you've not heard yet, may never even get around to hearing, but you kind of know more than you should about them anyway. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, K- 
Candlemass, who's, you know, became one of my favorite bands later, yeah. was on my radar like two, three years before I ever heard him. Yeah. yeah. Um, even even down to, you know, like knowing like Messiah Mark Collins name and, yeah. <laughs> you know, just from from those from those. Magazines. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But those magazines would have uh, in the back. I don't know if you remember, there, there was always like this two page spread that had tiny little thumbnail images of all these like shirts you could order it was oh, like yeah. a two yeah, yeah. Yep. um i remember i would study you know all that stuff like cover to cover and i remember on those things seeing like mixed in there uh amongst the like um slayer and and metallica stuff you would occasionally see uh well for me it was exploited and 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 corrosion of conformity yeah Okay. I remember seeing like the, the COC skull and I was in love because uh, there was a shirt and there was a ring, you know, that you could order oh, wow. with, like spiky skull. <laughs> and I was just like, fuck, I, I need to know. I, I, I'm, I gotta, I gotta hear corrosion of conformity. Yeah. Cause like I already love them and this is going to get weird if I, if I like, don't ever hear them. Right. So I remember, um, uh, given the, the the that time in my life, probably shoplifting, yeah, um, eye for an eye, and uh, and exploited. Let's start a war. Kind of around the same time, yeah. so, seventh, and that was, um, that was a, a weird sort of crossroads, I guess, because yeah, I, right? I yeah. remember distinct i mean exploited was like you you saw the mohawk in my mind i guess i knew that that was punk they were british there was a mohawk right. um but it didn't sound um comical yeah yeah especially that out i mean later i would go on to like hear earlier stuff and right, i was like right. all right they're kind of kind of hilarious yeah, but uh right. that's a dark a dark album and uh and then an eye for an eye was like totally threw me for a loop because I was like my frame of reference, you know, if, if it, it wasn't punk and it, because it was American for starters. Yeah. So I was like, this is not punk rock. There are solos. It had this like Sabbathy sort of bluesy kind of thing. And, and there was like, you know, the green man, Alishi cover. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, what, this is just like the, worst metal band <laughs> I know, right? was like all yeah. i could surmise yeah. you know it was yeah just bad metal yeah and uh and i loved it and i remember the photos too just really throwing me for a loop because i was like they don't even have long hair yeah i know and they're dressed or, in like or normal Mohawks. yeah and they're dressed in like normal clothes and, and yeah yeah and uh and i just remember like uh i was like this is something else i didn't know which bucket to put it in right but uh but i it, it kind of i guess in my mind it it created this like third bucket right uh and then i remember uh kind of from there from there i guess i remember hearing um and where did where did it go from there uh i guess minor threat yeah um which was i had a, a a request my my friend jessica was having a birthday party yep. i was grounded um my parents were going to make an exception let me go to this party but i couldn't go to the mall 
to get a gift for her with my mom. Yeah. I was like grounded enough that like I had to, you know, stay home right. while she went and got it. Yeah. But I remember asking Jessica like what what she wanted and she said uh minor threat out of step. Yeah. And I was like, "All right, mom, minor threat out of step." <laughs> so, and she brought it back and I remember like looking at it and uh, I ended up giving it to her without the cellophane on it because I opened it up and taped it <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and then wrapped it. Right. Uh, and yeah. And, and, and from there, uh, well, I remember like pictures of, of Ian McKay, I, just like the shaved heads, the whole aesthetic was like, all right, it was starting, I was starting to connect dots, you yeah. know, it felt, um, coc adjacent maybe yeah um without sounding like them yeah and i must have had like you know skinhead culture just somehow on the on the radar because right. in my mind i was like it's skinhead music yeah <laughs> yeah this is skinhead music and yeah. then from there it was like this you know the floodgates opened and i was like suddenly aware of agnostic front black flag um meet men seven seconds all that kind of stuff yeah which was still to me like um skinhead music yeah yeah you know it, yeah. it wasn't it wasn't you know british uh punk. snotty british right. punk about the queen and it wasn't metal and it, yeah it was skinhead music and then i remember uh i think the first time that i became really aware of the term hardcore would have been i guess with with agnostic front or with uh um the way it is yeah oh, okay the comp, uh, the comp the revelation comp. yeah which sort of like closed a loop for me because with like breakdown um suddenly it was like oh we're getting heavy again yeah i got taken on this weird little tangent into like absurd meat men stuff and yeah. you know melodic seven seconds and stuff yeah. and flag which like I couldn't tell what they were doing from one release to the other, <laughs> yeah, you know? Yeah, right. yeah, as a kid, they were hard to... I loved them, but they were hard to grasp, especially, uh, you know, I came in a little later, so, you know... I, right. So those later ones, you know, I, I learned to like them later, but, um, yeah, they were on just this weird trip that I, I never really got until I was older, so... Yeah, because you don't really have a, a lay of the land or understand, like, the, the order of the releases. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And you don't have necessarily have an appreciation yet for some of the stuff that they were experimenting with. Yeah, yeah. Um, I just finally got into the uh, that process of Weeding Out album recently. I was like, you know, some of the, I, I played it and I was like, some of these instrumentals are actually pretty good. And I, I, I think I posted something on social media and... Half of my friends shit all over. <laughs> but anyway, I think, you know, uh, you know, maybe I was messed up and just, but it, 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 I kind of got it a little semi recently. But at the yeah. time, it was, at the time it was just yeah. So with minor threat, did you were you identifying with like the lyrics or anything? Like so, straight edge wasn't like really a thing, really at that point for. But did you read into the? I mean, the the lyrics on that record at all? Oh, big time. Yeah. Big time. Yeah. Um, that was, I, I mean, minor threat was like, even like, even like with eye for an eye, which by then uh, was completely just ingrained yeah. in, in, you know, cause this is, I was an older only uh, kid too. And, and I, you know, come to think of it grounded a lot. Yeah. So I just remember like 
Absorbed you know, every music. Yeah. 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 Every millimeter of the, of the J card, you know, right. um, but they didn't lyrically, it didn't speak to me at all. Right. Uh, I loved the sound and yeah. the look and the aesthetic, but I couldn't, I mean, I couldn't tell you today, you know, what, what early COC was about. Cause right. that also seemed to change from album. Yeah. album. Yeah. Um, but yeah, minor threat was the first time where I was like, all right, here we go. This yeah. is, this is like, these are other suburban American kids yeah. that are just like pissed off at adults who aren't taking them seriously and pissed yeah. off at kids that they think are like fucking it up for everyone yeah. and just pissed off at, you know, people who don't listen and yeah. people who, you know, just, uh, it, it was, it was, it was, uh, pros. Yeah. Yeah. It was perfect you know? for like teen, like for teenagers that, like you said, like we're spent a lot of time alone, especially that record. It's not really, I think the, the seven inches are more of like the straight edge where that one was more just, it was more personal and, you know, emo almost. And, uh, you know, think again, look back and laugh. Yep. Little friend. Um, but the, yes, this, it was it, so relatable. Yeah. So relatable. Yeah. And, the and you know, Metallica's not. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, Creeping Death. I mean, it's a cool story, but I, yeah, I'm not. Yeah, and that was the thing too. And uh, I, I always felt like, like metal. There was this, there was this theatrical um, element that it, it was cool. It was cool for a minute. Yeah. Um, but it definitely was not relatable. And I feel like metal is really predicated on on uh you know bands lord over the audience yeah 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 it's you're you're watching gods yeah you yeah. know up on this like big pyrotechnic sort of like platform and and um and then you know again and the and the british stuff was like i don't know i don't live there i don't right. really know yeah. anything about maggie you know margaret yeah. thatcher right yeah just, or the queen yeah just um, like those those punk rockers just hung out and took pictures of themselves in leather jackets and spit. And that was sort of my impression of, of that world. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and then the commonality with metal was like the, the costumery, yeah. you know? Yeah. Yeah. It was like very, uh, looky, yeah. you know? Yeah. And, and at that age, like, I don't know, my parents were gonna, weren't, weren't about to let me walk out of the house in any of that shit, like yeah. on either right. side of the aisle. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, you know, enter minor threat into my awareness and it was like, Oh fuck. Yeah. And they're in t-shirts and jeans yeah, and like, yeah. and they're not, they're not lording over the audience. In fact, like this dude is in the audience. Yeah. Yeah. He's just surrounded by a bunch of other, you know, bald heads. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and it just like everything about it just felt like it was like, for me it could be me it could be like my friends yeah in the neighborhood at my school you know and and it sort of was because right around the same time that that same friend um uh jessica had um there was a band that played that party actually yeah um friends of ours and and friends that i would later end up like doing my first band with a right. uh, half band called midget stew and they yeah. did my threat oh, cover right. nice um so yeah, and it, so it all just felt like very like okay, cool. This is like these are just like kids like us, you know, who 
skateboard like us well not me but friends Um, and yeah it was just entirely it was exactly what i needed at at that point in my life i guess and and do you remember the 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 first show the, the hardcore show that you went to i don't remember the first i went to a couple of of local shows yeah um the first like notable hardcore show that I can remember, um, like the first time that I actually, that I, the first, like, I would say, um, like national act, you know, touring band that I was like, um, stoked for would be well, besides maybe like, no, I guess that was later. Uh, I remember seeing big drill car pretty early on, um, uh, sick of it all. And I remember I listened to the episode uh, that you did with um, EK. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. Uh, and I think he mentioned the 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 new Titans of Block. Uh, oh, that tour, tour. yeah, yeah. Um, so that tour when it came through Miami, oh, um, nice. which was uh, Napalm Death, Sacred Reich, Sick of It All, and and uh, Sepultura. Yeah, yeah. yeah um, what, a, what a tour, huh? Like when you think back at that that lineup now, it's it's ridiculous. Yeah, yeah, it was it was crazy, and that was kind of like right around when like, um, yeah, I was like fully, uh, I guess because of the way it is comp. Yeah. Um, now I understood like, you know, that this bucket had a name and and its name was hardcore. Yeah. And I guess I started like getting kind of pulled more toward, um, New York. You know, my yeah. my attention drifted to to New York. I guess. Yeah. Um because uh yeah like i was saying it kind of it kind of closed a loop for a metal kid where it was like oh this is like heavier and harder yeah we're moving away from these like suburban skateboarding dc kids and into like some shit that kind of feels a little a little more chunky yeah yeah. um which i which i liked but at the same time i always kind of had a soft spot for like um yeah discord stuff or just hardcore with melody in general but um but yeah so and then when sick of it all came through it was it was kind of um, i guess i was all in now so you must have recognized then like these shows and just hardcore in general now you were like you were saying before like heavy metal people you know there's no chance you're ever going to meet bruce dickinson or he's never going to be standing in the crowd you know watching the opener great white next year or something um but hardcore shows everyone was just there and it sort of everyone sort of had was part of it you know including the band so it was that must have been attractive to you to as a as a young kid yeah it, it was it was attractive um and it was like that idea was really supported um aesthetically you know like the pictures reinforced that idea the lyrics reinforced that idea especially when you're like you know, it's like, you know, punks and skins, blacks and white. You know, like it, there's like right. this whole, yeah, yeah. We're all we're all just kids together, and right. we gotta, you know, unify. And I was like, and and then and then uh, and and gang vocals too, yeah, like yeah, as yeah. just this sort of. I don't know that anyone ever really talks about kind of the um, the the psychological impact, maybe. Of, <laughs> yeah gang vocal not in like a a ridiculously kind of blown out biohazard um slash 
strife right <laughs> uh, yeah. via biohazard kind of way but like in in just that whole like uh oh man i can hear like those are you can tell those are their friends yelling yeah in this exactly. video yeah and it just made the whole thing so accessible and attainable and um yeah i i think i just that that kind of sealed the deal for me yeah it was less pretense or right. or maybe different kind of you know and then so, so as far as playing music when when did that start for you so what what years are we talking about now like oh well i guess that that sick of it all tour was what 89 or no, uh, no that 90, was 91 or something i, don't remember. I think 91 yeah 91. that was 91 yeah. so yeah so so i guess by the time i started like really being kind of a regular part of shows was was shortly uh shortly before then you yeah, know it was like right. a couple couple local shows than that and then it was like all right now i'm i'm, I'm gonna be a participant and not just a, a kid who you know dubs his friends tapes or right. shoplifts um you know um yeah so i uh, so around then uh was when the 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 band from the uh party midgets do yeah um they broke up and, and one of the, uh, the drummer asked me one day if I wanted to sing for, for their new band. And I didn't have any kind of resume at the time, but I did have a shaved head. Yeah. Uh, so I think I, you know, I qualified, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there were not very many punks or, or hardcore kids or, <clears throat> uh, skaters or whatever in, in the school at all. Right. <clears throat> so, um, started singing with them and that was called us decline yeah and uh it was very straightforward kind of three chord you know uh hardcore punk with a with an emphasis on punk i guess yeah um and it was cool uh it was fun never played and then i this this was um right around the time that I left home, I, I left home at 15, yeah. um, in December of 91, I believe. Mm -hmm. Um, and I ended up, uh, spending, uh, the next few years, especially the, the year that followed kind of away a lot, yeah. uh, institutionalized, uh, or whatever. Right. Um, <clears throat> anyway, I, I had to leave. Right. So I told those guys, um, you know, carry, carry this torch, you know, without me, um, you know, we had only practiced like five times in a bedroom. So there, there was no torch, but <laughs> they ended up getting singer, um, and they recorded a demo. And I remember when I came back around, uh, hearing the demo and then I became sort of the unofficial, uh, the drummer and a couple of those other guys, um, started a label, sort of a, a, a it was a label called pathetic records pr yeah. um they kind of only did tape releases uh of local bands and then they had uh there was a venue called the pr house that was kind of um an, an illegal it was a it was a space above a carpet shop oh, okay. um that we somehow had access to and uh so they were the PR house became a venue. There was Pathetic Records, the label, um, and then they also did a zine called like Idiot Nation. And I uh, 
because I had lost my spot as the as the singer, I kind of uh, became sort of the resident like um, doodler, like illustrator oh, okay. for flyers and zine stuff. And then I started a second band um, called Insist. Yep. Um, and then uh, and one of those guys went on to be in a couple bands on on. Um, doghouse records a band called like sunday driver and mm-hmm. some other stuff i remember him exposing me also to a lot more kind of like straight edge hardcore yeah okay um, Alex. and then after insist uh did a band called reach yeah. with um, a couple people from a band called organized pain that pr had put a tape out of and, and that Organized Pain included uh, on guitar uh, John Wiley, who I would later end up being in Culture and Morning Again with. Oh, right. yep. <clears throat> so just kind of small little neighborhood uh, scene that sort of gave way to whatever bands uh, led me, I guess, ultimately. It was kind of just a hobby for me. I had no intention of really being a singer. Right. Um, I remember like Reach played a show in a cul-de-sac once uh, and Insist played one or two shows at, at the PR house mm-hmm. and it was cool. I had fun, but um, I don't know. I, I didn't really know what I was doing. Yeah. Uh, and then at some point I got an invite to come try out for, for culture and that sort of just changed everything. Yeah. And and that was a, what, what, what kind of hardcore band was that? Um, so, Culture was, well, I'd seen them playing, uh, I think once and I really dug it and I had the demo, um, and I loved it. And John, uh, Wiley was playing for them at this point, And he, I think he was the one that said like, you should, we need to sing, we need a singer. Um, and I, I was also kind of in, uh, recovery. Okay. Um, uh, like falsely accused, but, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, nonetheless, like, um, I had been, you know, in, in places that, um, were, were rehabby and I was, I had social workers and I was kind of court mandated to do, uh, 90 and 90 and all that, yeah. uh, all that stuff. Yep. Um, so in my mind at that point, I was like, oh man, I'm, I can't, uh, I can't drink or like get high or anything again because I'll, I'll die on the spot. Um, And none of that was true. I I just like, you know, a kid who had a propensity for getting in trouble and making dumb decisions and also just a kid. So I was just like getting fucked up. Um, But I bought it. So at the time when I like, I, I joined, uh, I tried out for culture. They were doing this like, um, uh, a, a sort of a brand of '90s hardcore that I didn't, I wouldn't really realize was super '90s until later. Right. Um, but it was very, it was very, I guess, like influenced by other stuff um, of the era because most of the guys in the band um, were and still are uh, uh, several years older than me. So like they, they had their ear to the tracks. Oh right. Yeah. In ways that I didn't. So they they were aware of bands that were not yet on my radar like case and you know uh means stuff like that and i think that uh 
I think in retrospect, I kind of, I came to realize like, okay, cultures, this, the, at least the earlier stuff was very influenced by, by Snapcase and, and, and Mean Seed, like earlier that, Snapcase. Yeah, right. That, you know? that, that wave of uh, hardcore. Yeah. And also probably, uh, you know, new age bands and, and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah. um, it was metallic, uh, but much, much less so than I would later realize. Mm-hmm. Um, I think at the time when, when you're listening to it against like, you know, side by side or something, right. you're like, <laughs> yeah. Man, I'm in the most metal hardcore band that ever. Lived. <laughs> yeah. We're like Slayer, right? Um, and then, and then later you hear Overcast or right. <laughs> something, and you're like, "Oh shit!" Yeah. No, we're. Um, but yeah, it was it was early on. It was like very kind of bass centric, um, you know, long meandering melodic, pretty kind of intros and yeah. songs that were way too long and had way too many parts and. Right. Uh, but it changed everything for me because it was the first time that uh, I remember I got in the band and uh, and they were like, we're recording in a week and a half at the first practice. Yeah. Um, they told me that. So I had uh, I had to learn seven songs and write three songs yeah. in, in like 10 days. And um, once I went into the studio and was able to, like, walk around listening to this tape that I was on on my walkman yeah. you know um yeah that sort of just changed everything yeah i was like oh shit i can i can be you know like it's not just like this music appeals to me because i'm a kid like the like the kids in these bands right i can be a kid in these bands yeah yeah, yeah like for real yeah. you know and have a tape or a cd or whatever um yeah and and so you're you're singing someone else's lyrics for the some of those songs, and then you wrote some yourself for that. Yeah. Uh, well, we attempted that album three times. We went into the studio on three separate occasions and recorded three entirely different. Um, the one that happened ten days after I joined yeah. was uh, seven of the songs Rich had written, uh, the guitarist, um, and then I wrote the other three okay and so it was seven and three then for whatever reason we, we we didn't like that one uh we went back a month or so later and recorded the selection changed and i remember it was like five and five because yeah. we now have a couple new songs right. from then we we scrapped that one and we did a third version which is the one that um that was our our only full length it's called a uh, born of you yeah um that one came out that's what was released. And that was like uh, an inversion of the first ratio where it was like three of the songs were still from like, uh, like right. riff yeah. legacy songs. Yeah. And then the other seven were all, were all new. Nice. Yeah. And so did you start take, taking uh, lyric writing seriously at this point? Or, Cause I, I, I the stuff, the stuff uh, that I've read and the stuff in as friends rust, I think is great and well, you know, you can tell that you put a lot of work and it's well thought out and and original. And so was that something that you worked on early on? I think so. I, I think, um, 
Yeah, I remember putting work into some of the the stuff on the on in those early culture days. Yeah. Um, and I remember feeling like it was kind of easy to do, uh, especially once we had we had fully embraced the the uh, the vegan straight edge sort of um, thing, right. <laughs> because then you get to get all you know um, all all apocalyptic right. and biblical. Like, yeah, and it's like everything's, um, yeah, uh, I, I, I took it seriously. Um, but I was also writing about things that were like, uh, they, they didn't, they didn't have staying power for me. Right. Uh, and, and not just because, uh, I'm a, I'm a sellout. Uh, I think even, even if I was still, um, straight edge, I think some of those lyrics, I would just be like, ah, oh, man, do I really have to say that? No. Yeah, yeah. Don't we have some other songs we can, um, yeah, it, it was, it, it was very, uh, it was like hyper specialized right. lyrical content. Yeah. And that kind of, um, even toward, toward the end, I remember like, really sort of opposing uh, that where I was like, no more vegan song, no more songs about veganism (laughs) or straight edge. So I was trying to dabble in like, you know, focusing more on just sort of uh, the perils of industry and like unfettered capitalism and, (laughs) uh, you know, the, how they've got us, you know, by the balls with this like bipartisan kind of, uh, um, duopoly and like things like that. And, uh, eventually, um, well, I guess that came that, that was when I came back to the band, but, uh, I, I didn't want to long story short, I I didn't want to do the vegan straight edge thing anymore because I'd started becoming aware of hardline bands. Um, I didn't quite know what it was, but I knew the basics, at least the things I didn't like. Yeah. And, um, and, and I realized like, shit everybody thinks that that's what we are right right it, like because we have these militant vegan straight edge songs like people think we're we're hardline like yeah. i'm okay with being clumped in with you know earth crisis or right. chokehold or, right. you know like well definitely chokehold but i i was just much more um left i guess yeah yeah and it really bothered me i didn't right. want to be associated with 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 uh bands that were um hardline as i understood hardline to be which was like you know basically just pro-life and homophobic and it's like nope yeah what was that so i what was that famous one that was on victory early was that uh uh, they went to like a pro-life a straight edge band i can't remember the name of it was on uh victory was uh rage Maybe. Raid or Green Rage? Maybe. Yeah, I thought maybe it wasn't. Maybe I don't know if either of those were on. Yeah, it was. I, I remember the the album just got panned by everyone because it was. I don't know. I'll, I'll have to look it up after if I can see if I can. All out, not all out war. It was like a th- three word thing, but <laughs> that could be any fucking man. You know, one of those three word hardcore bands. Yeah. Um, no, so, I, I remember like there was a band called uh, Cannon. Yeah. And our guitarists had the seven inch and, and I don't know if I'm like crossing wires or memories. So apologies to yeah. 
anyone in canon if, if this is like not you guys but one of those hardline bands um had a song or at least like liner notes or something in their record was a was was a went so far as to um they were basically like abstaining from masturbation <laughs> because of the potential lives that you're murdering. Right. Oh, and I was like, all right, yeah, that's a... this is getting fucking out of hand, yeah. you know? Yeah. A little bit. Right. So around then I like, I left culture and then, uh, uh, started Shai Halud and then John from culture sometime while I was doing Shai Halud, had also left culture and he called me and asked if I wanted to sing for, for a new band, but he had been one of the, the, the people that I had the biggest issues with in right. the culture. Okay. Cause he was super, he was like, no, fuck that. Like we need to get more militant, more militant, like, <laughs> right. more threatening, more whatever. And I was like, dude, look at me, you know, <laughs> <Right>. yeah. <laughs> Uh, remember guys i've been straight edge for like a year right. i was smoking cigarettes when i tried out for you yeah. guys um <laughs> but going to meetings <laughs> right right yeah but yeah i was like uh i don't i don't know i don't so anyway he asked me to sing for his new band and i remember on the phone which was like where it was like are we gonna bury the hatchet and try to do something new together right since neither of us are in that band anymore yeah um i I said to him, I was like, I'll do it, but it will not be a vegan or straight edge band. Yeah. I remember that being kind of a, a mandate. And then years later, uh, our first couple, well, the first couple releases, the ones that I was on were re-released by a label in, in Belgium, uh, with three giant X's under the name. And I was, <laughs> <laughs> that happened, you know, yeah, yeah, of course. after my watch. And yeah. uh, Shia Lu, that was a brief. You they they you joined them and then they they got signed to Revelation and you you were gone before that happened. Yeah, it was it was maybe a year. Yeah. Uh, uh, Matt Fox, the 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 only original member that's still. I mean, it's basically his his thing. Yeah. Um, he and I started it uh, sitting on my living room floor with an unplugged guitar in matt's hands yeah. um and then uh played played a bunch of shows we recorded a demo um the demo is what he sent to to rev he had contacts at rev because he worked at a record shop yeah um and they loved it and there was talk of touring and you know all this stuff and i and and i mean the idea of being on on revelation yeah <clears throat> was awesome but it was a very very uh difficult volatile kind of interpersonally it was like we just did yeah. not get along yeah. a, a lot of us. you wouldn't have lasted so, in a van for months at a time. there was no way yeah yeah there was no way we all knew it i knew it um so i i left um with uh, and nobody tried to stop me yes um and that was it yeah. so yeah that was that was a short thing. Yeah. And then uh, on was on bodies after that. No, from from there it was uh, it was it was morning again. Yeah. Um, I guess I was doing the two at the same time for a while. Yeah. Um, then I was down to just morning again. Yeah. 
um, until the following summer. And then uh, after I got the boot from morning again, um, uh, from John, I, I think partly because I'm difficult and, wow. uh, and to be in a band with, but also because I think he did want to kind of get back to the whole, you know, straight edge vegan thing. Right. Uh, uh, so whatever, for whatever right. reason, uh, I was out of that band. And then, and then I was doing, uh, that's when As Friends Russ started, um, Bird of Ill Omen yeah. uh, started. <clears throat> and then right around the same time, I came back to culture. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. And uh, so As Friends Rust was more of a, um, like I hear like Sam I Am and that band, Dag Nasty, like they're kind of more, even like hot water music. Cause were you guys from, all from Gainesville at that point? We, uh, when the band started in 96, I was still in, in, um, Miami, well, in in uh, Hollywood, Fort Lauderdale yeah. area by now. Okay. Um, and then, uh, and then in '97, I don't know. I, I guess, quit Bird of a Loman. Uh, as Friends Russ fell apart, there was only Culture left. Yeah. Uh, th- that I had recently gotten back into, and we went to um, Europe. And at that point, I was just like. All right, I'm in. I'm I'm like all in now yeah. on on this whole like I just want to tour. Yeah. Forever. Um, and they were moving to or had just moved to uh, Gainesville. So I think after that trip, I came back and basically was like packed my shit and moved to Gainesville. Yeah, and, that, and there was a, a pretty thriving music scene there at that point. Right? Yeah, not for us. Yeah. Uh, no. You know, it was very. Uh, it, it was it was very um you know Gainesville. Yeah. <laughs> it was it's it was it was yeah, it was um the same Gainesville that it is now was like kind kind of then too where uh it just wasn't a place for for, for a vegan straight yeah. edge right. uh metallic heavy moshy chuggy uh <clears throat> hardcore band. Yeah. <clears throat> but uh, yeah, moved up there, and then that was when the idea to like reform mm-hmm. uh, as friends rust uh, with with new people basically yeah. came up um, because a couple uh, of of uh, one of the guitarists of Culture, Steve, um, who was living with Jason from Hot Water Music at the time, I guess they had been listening to the the demo that we had recorded with the first lineup. Yeah. Um, and really liked it. I think it it sounded pretty pretty fresh and and different. And uh, and it was from Steve from from Culture. It was like we should we should like ask those guys if it's all right if you start a new version. Yeah, I want to play those songs or write songs like that. <laughs> nice. Um, so I did, and they were like, "Sure, go go for it." And then uh, Steve never ended up playing in the band. Um, but that was sort of how a new a new version. Um, came about and like yeah yeah and you and you you put out a a number of records with with that with that band yeah yeah well the following year uh culture fell apart for like in in like an irreparable kind of way um or like half the band uh started drinking basically (laughs) um 
so so yeah so then it was just uh as for interest for for a few years yeah. um for well about the next four yeah really and, um yeah and you and you guys put a uh, a couple songs out earlier this year yeah earlier this year we did our first our first new songs since 2002 yeah um, so 18 years for, for the band, but with this particular lineup, um, there were kind of three incarnations of the band. There was like the Miami version. Yeah. Uh, then there was the, the newly, um, reformed version. Uh, and then a lot after a couple of years that sort of fell apart and we, uh, the guitarist Joe and I put together like a whole new lineup recorded probably more stuff than in, than any of the other lineups yeah uh, and then disbanded uh, well i left they continued for a minute with with another um singer or, or two i think over the next like few months and then just ended it right. um but yeah so with this particular lineup it's um 20 years wow. since since we've written or released anything uh but 18 for the band as a whole that's crazy and, and was, that stuff came out came out around March, April. Is that when when you put those out? Yeah, so, yeah, I think so. So you recorded those before uh, bad things started happening. We we record. They recorded all the music before bad things started happening. Yeah. Um, I recorded the vocals. Uh, the basically the weeks that the shit hit the fan. Right. Um, in fact, uh, I recorded down in, in Florida and my, um, wife and son, like we were, we were all supposed to go and make like a whole vacation out yeah. of it. Okay. And a few days beforehand was when we started like really, it started hitting that like, oh shit, like people are, people are canceling trips. Yeah. Yeah. And we canceled their flights, um, the night we were supposed to fly in the morning the night before and I went alone. And instead of it being a, you know, 10 day trip or whatever, I shortened it to just the weekend. Um, but I remember like kind of not really fully appreciating the the situation, uh, when I left thinking it was kind of ridiculous that they canceled and just kind of, I was like, I don't know. I think people are overreacting, you know, uh, but three days later, I was like ready to rent a car instead of flying back. Yeah. I was like, maybe I should just drive back know, to Michigan. Right? Yeah, it's it's crazy. It was that. It was that. Whatever weekend that was. Yeah. When it was like everyone's perception of what was happening finally hit, it, <laughs> hit, hit everyone. Yeah, it was. Uh, yeah, it was strange that that. Uh, yeah, because the, the next my my job stayed open, except well, me and there's like me and one other person there for a number of months. But I just remember that those first couple of weeks driving, it was like, it was like desolate. It was it was really creepy, and uh, but it was also just the the air of like the unknown. And you know, here we are, thinking you know back then thinking, okay, well I guess by the summer this will be dealt with, and you know, and here we are in uh, December, you know, the eve of December, and uh, we're not even close <laughs> to being uh, over this. Right. Yeah. I remember in in March or April, a couple people just being like, man, this is going to last like three, four weeks. Yeah. Yeah. I know. And and I was like, no, man, this is going to last like three or four months. Yeah. 
you are way underestimating, you know? <laughs> and then here we are nine months later. Yeah. Uh, you know, kind of going into a second, second wave. Yeah. Second down. Um, <clears throat> I wanted to talk about the, the, so the two songs you, you released with, uh, as friends rust this year, one yep. of them, last of the famous international scumbags, which I immediately, you know, recognizes a play on uh, the Morrissey song, Last of the Famous International Playboys. Um, and you, and you kind of talk about, you know, artists that, you know, are, are known to just, you know, say outrageous things or, 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 or things come out about them. And, you know, when do you, where's the line when you separate the, the art from the artist and, you know, who do you, so what influenced you to, to write that? Uh, I guess just my own personal kind of struggle with, with, uh, what to do, yeah. you know, in those situations. Cause I mean, a lot of people are just like, thought it was, it was just a, you know, very literally a dig at Morrissey. And that's right. like, I mean, I, I like more, I like, you know, as an artist, like I have a ton of respect for Morrissey. I yeah. love, I love yeah. the guy's voice. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm a fan. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. It's like with somebody like, like Cosby. Yeah. That's an easy right? one. Too. That's an easy one. Yeah. That's an easy one. He's done. Yeah. He, you're, you're fucking finished. Yeah. Don't come around here. Yeah. You know? Uh, but then you start getting into like this fuzzy territory where it's like, all right. Yeah. I, I don't like that. Morrissey is palling around with, you know, nationalist organizations and and he's he's just saying like really outrageous shocking kind of offensive shit right um but to some extent isn't he allowed to yeah yeah you know maybe not the, the supporting supporting groups that are just like nationalist in a in a like kind of a like like ethno-nationalist kind of way right that starts to get a little easier too, where I was like, Oh cool. No, you're, you're, you're a Nazi. Right. Right. Or if you know, yeah. Or if you're using your art to, to convey that message, like screwdriver, you know, like, right. Yeah. If those guys were just a, a country, you know, you know, a hardcore band and they just sang about, you know, whatever straight edge and the the government and the snap, but, but didn't have any racist songs, but we found out, you know, Ian Stewart is a, a white supremacist, you know, I don't know. Yeah. It, you would have less reason to not listen to their music. Right. You know, right. and then, and then you start drawing parallels to like, all right, but like, you know, he's, he's supporting groups uh, or ideologies that have like affiliations with some, some, some fucked up characters, but like, so do our fam. So do people in our families. Yeah, yeah. People. So do people we work with, yeah. and like we're not writing them off, even though they support a group or a party or a, a politician, you yeah. know, a leader yeah. that is affiliated with all of this, like you know, offensive, dangerous shit in our minds. Yeah. Uh, also, and it's like I don't know. I, I don't. I don't believe that. Uh, I don't think that that punk rock or hardcore has to be 
leftist necessarily. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I don't need everyone to believe the same shit that I do. Right. Um, I mean, I think there's a, there's a line, there's certain things that I think just sort of like disqualify you right. uh, from hardcore, yeah. um, ideologically. But, but I think like there, there's a, there is a spectrum of like f- from, you know, ranging from really left sort of progressive, uh, leftist kind of ideology to more right sort of pseudo conservative kind of stuff that I think we have to uh, allow. It can't be that like, yeah. You know, uh, homogenized or, yeah. or, or whatever. And I, and I think Morrissey is sort of the perfect, uh, example of that kind of conundrum because it's like, uh, artistically, I think he's kind of, um, never shown himself to be that kind of ass, right. you know, if you look yeah. at like yeah, his, words, his influences or artists he's worked with or whatever, but, yeah. um, yeah, I mean, is is being offensive and believing in some shit that we don't like enough to just have to write an artist off yeah. forever? Which ones do we write off forever? And no, I mean, I'm not going to watch. How could you watch an episode of The Cosby Show? Yeah, no, I know at this point. Right? Yeah. So, And that's also a range. Like, it's, you know, it's one of those things that, like, it can't just be this black and white. There are There are artists or celebrities that, like, they're done and their body of work can be just fucking just burned. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, and then there's like the ones in between where like, all right, he's done or she's done or they're done, but the music didn't really reflect that kind of stuff. And I'm still going to listen to it. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's the whole, like, I don't know, bummer to learn that about, you know, that artist. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, like Ryan. But I don't really care that much. Yeah, Ryan like, Adams was one of those guys that you know I, I liked some of his stuff, and when I heard about whatever he was getting involved in, it was pretty uh, kind of bummed me out, you know. Yeah, and that's that's another one where yeah, it was like, uh, all right, sort of a bummer that you're that you're using your position to kind of get dates. Yeah, you know, right. uh, I guess, but it kind of. I don't know a whole lot about it. I remember I, I wanted to like really look into it, um, a little bit more, um, you know, diligently or whatever, do, yeah. do my due diligence. But yeah. then I heard the Mandy Moore thing about how, um, yeah. Yeah. Right. From he her. told me I wasn't a real musician cause I don't play guitar. Right. And at that point yeah. I sort of, the whole thing just got derailed. For yeah. Me. Yeah, 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 <laughs> I was like, he just sounds like a dick in yeah. a fight, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, but uh, I don't know. I've, I've, I don't really know much about it. But yeah, whatever it is, and and uh, I don't know if this was like the ro- the wrong play, but like it hasn't stopped me from listening to Whiskey Town or right. you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. And same with like uh, Michael Jackson was one of those sort of on the line where because he was never really uh, most of that stuff was like alleged, and so I don't know. Yeah. It's, Certain ones, but it's it's definitely uh, the the song definitely uh, allows for for a good conversation. So so I was glad you 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 wrote this. It's it's really cool. So the, if you're listening to this, you should uh, seek this song out. It's re- it's pretty cool. It, it was a weird it was a weird song to tackle too because you uh, it was a it was a fine line to dance. Cause yeah. I didn't want to get pegged as having any real position on it. Yeah. Um, 
not because of a of potential backlash so yeah. much as uh, um, I don't. That's the whole point of the song. Is yeah. I, I don't. I wish I had more of a position yeah. on it or yeah, understood it better. You know. Yeah, yeah. You're more um, telling a story about it, and, and and yeah, there's no there's no opinion in it, and uh, I, I like it. It's, it's definitely uh, it's cool. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks. Yeah. And so, and you're also doing uh, Damien Dunn. Let, let's talk about that. That so is that a group or is that more just you doing stuff yourself or? It's kind of uh, both, I guess. It's um, I I write the songs. Um, there was an album a couple years ago, Charm Offensive, that uh, I basically just wrote kind of in a in a vacuum um wrote and recorded myself uh except for the 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 producer james uh replayed some of my programmed kind of shitty midi bass lines um on a real bass Mm -hmm. and then he added a lot of uh very important um additional guitar uh stuff as well but all the keys and the drums and all that stuff was programmed and then and then uh i found some people to to play with live who um, were more than happy to just kind of like, yeah, just give us the set and we'll learn yeah. it and we'll practice it and we'll play. Yeah. So we did that for a while. Um, a couple of recordings like that. And then um, as we started to build more rapport at practice, uh, it became more of a like, you know, I don't know what the lead should be like is this arrangement? How do you guys feel about this arrangement? Does right. this feel weird here? Does this need some more kind of guitar stuff? Right. And then uh, more, more room for people to kind of put their stamp on it. And, right. it, and so it does feel at this point, um, or at least that before the pandemic, it definitely was very much a, a, a band. In fact, right before the pandemic, I think in, in January or February, uh, we recorded uh, a three song EP with like the full band. Yeah. Um, so that felt like uh, a new chapter because I, I wrote the songs, but they they definitely put their mark on the songs. I right. write, you know, adding their own parts and their own flavor, and, yeah. and we kind of worked on them collaboratively, uh, and then recorded them live together. And it was the first recording with the full band. Yeah. Um, and then this shit happened, and I kind of went back into like my. Uh, uh, you know, writing songs on a laptop. Right. <laughs> um, aside from the guitarist who, cause he has recording stuff at home too. So there were a couple, um, I, I'm able to email something to him and ask him if he can add, you know, you add something to this part and maybe right. rip a solo, yeah. you know? Nice. And yeah. And, and do, do you, you must like the free, cause this, this, um, project is, it's not a hardcore project. It's, it's more, uh, indie rock. Uh, some electronic stuff, and uh, your your singing is really cool on this. And uh, but I, I uh, one of the songs I, I was checking out that you put out a uh, it's like a demos thing from this year called uh, Yeah, yeah. Last of, week I just kind of yeah wanted to get it out of my computer basically. I I love that song Black Moon. It's like this eighties sort of dark dark wave vibe. It's it's pretty cool. So yeah, but, yeah, thanks. That's like our f- first like energetic. Uh, a lot of the other stuff is kind of slow and occasionally yeah. tedious, and 
dark and you know just kind of cr- they crawl along yeah um that that's that's definitely the peppiest uh song and yeah um, yeah nice so like uh, going forward you have uh you know obviously people aren't <laughs> touring right now so you're just are you writing stuff yourself and uh trying to record when, when you have time or do you I uh, I am, but like very very slowly. Yeah. Um, aside from those three songs and maybe one or two uh, others, I I kind of haven't done a whole lot of uh, songwriting with this pandemic. Yeah. Um, which I, you know I thought it would be like, oh man, I'm going to be home right days a week for the next however many right you know <laughs> three four months, uh, and. I'm going to write so much music and, and now it's like nine months later and I have found that like, it hasn't given me any more free time. Um, especially like, uh, I, there's a, a two year old and you know, it's yeah. yeah uh, but yeah, I mean, I'm kind of always chipping away at, at songs and then, um, as friend rust is, um, working on some new stuff too. Like, yeah. you know, yeah. And how do, yeah. you, how do you, how do you think the future of uh, music is going to be like touring, touring wise is going to be in just live music in general. Like when it eventually comes back, it's going to be, uh, I think it's going to be pretty fucked up. I, I hope not. I mean, yeah. I think there are people that are like going to be so hungry for it that the minute, it's you know the consensus is that like yeah it's safe yeah to go pile into a, a venue yeah. um i think people will be like chomping at the bit to do it yeah um but i do like i don't think that this time away from shows has created any um bad habits or habits that are going to be hard to break when when doors open again yeah yeah you know? I mean, nothing. I mean, if anything, it's like it's probably driving people more to live shows because they're so sick of watching like a a, a screen split right. into like yeah, you know yeah. for like you know a quadrant with <clears throat> musicians from all over the country, yeah, yeah, covering a whatever you know a prong song or something. Right. Like no one, everyone's done with that. Yeah. I, I think I think it'll be fine. I think it'll change. Uh, in kind of some like futuristic ways, right. maybe like uh, we'll probably see more um, like like Apple Pay, kind of more like virtual payment, yeah, uh, kind of things happening at like the merch table, and I think we might see masks just permanently incorporated into yeah. in the, the you know, yeah. Even like long after a virus, I, th- I think there's an awareness that like might be hard for some people to to come back from. Yeah, where they're like, definitely. yeah, I know it's gone, but like I'm not trying to give anything else I might yeah. have yeah. or get anything from. Yeah, I ke- I keep thinking of the logistics of you know at one point the country saying okay or the world saying okay venues are open now so you know we're seven hundred. <laughs> Hardcore bands and metal bands and rock bands and hip hop artists and all gonna tour at the same time. 
you know right what's that going to do to venues and you know so it's it's definitely that's just one of the millions of challenges that i, I keep thinking of you know but uh, i have not even thought of that yeah and, and then what's that going to do also to like uh yeah when venues are so sought after they basically they have all the control right yeah um yeah, that could get that could get interesting. Like uh, the band, like it might just be a lot, much less sort of democratic selection of, right, of right. bands that we're allowed to see. Yeah. Or yeah, booking agents are going to have to uh, start being friendly with each other and that kind of thing to to work towards out. You know, it's 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 already kind of like a puzzle for a lot for a lot of those guys to uh, to put tours together. You know, with finding open dates and, and you know in the middle of the week and that kind of thing so that's definitely going to be a challenge but yeah yeah anyway yeah. here we are um anyway uh i appreciate you uh doing this for me man it was uh this was it's been cool chatting with you yeah same thanks thanks for asking me yeah yeah and uh i'm gonna put a bunch of these new ones out at the start of the year so uh once it goes up i'll uh, i'll let you know and uh so yeah, thank awesome. you again, and uh, I will talk to you soon, man. All right. Yeah, uh, same. Thanks. All right. Take care. Bye.